For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Western history has led us to the most prosperous age in the history of humanity, and yet more and more our kids are taught to be ashamed of their country. Are you tired of Common Core, Howard Zinn-influenced, revisionist history in our schools? Do you want your family to have fun learning about history that you can trust? Do you want your kids to learn to love history? Then drivethroughhistory.com is for you. The guys over at drivethroughhistory.com have created a world of entertaining, on-location, video-based courses for your kids. They've got ancient history, American history, biblical history, and world history. Perfect for all of you who find yourself homeschooling for the first time. It's fun, and your kids are going to love it. To learn more, head over to drivethruhistory.com forward slash Zuby, Z-U-B-Y, where they've got streamed courses and old school DVDs, and you can use the code Zuby, Z-U-B-Y, at checkout for 20% off any order. That's drivethruhistory.com forward slash Zuby. Go check it out. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the grand, stunt me a destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam, put some respect on my name. Sick like a bang, click and I bang, y'all gon' remember the name. Y'all gon' remember the name. What's up ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back for another episode of Real Talk with Zuby. On today's episode, we have got on a social and political commentator, and this is, of course, the one and only Leonidas Johnson. Welcome to the show, man. Thank you, man. Thank you for having me. Awesome, bro. So I've done a real brief intro there, but for people who do not know you, tell them a little bit about you. Yeah, so I'm a speech-language pathologist by day and a cultural political commentator by night. That's how I explain it. <laughs> but, you know, I, I have a bachelor's degree in psychology, a master's degree in speech-language pathology. I, I do hospital work uh, for speech therapy. And the political stuff, I have a podcast called Informed Dissent. I, I do a lot of social media and, you know, just trying to get the truth out there and really, you know, push against the narrative. And that's really what the, what the podcast is about. So, yeah. No doubt, man. I, I have a big question here. I don't actually know what a speech language pathologist is. So can you just explain to me what that actually means? Because I'm curious. Yeah, there's a lot of different, different aspects of it. But what I do is I mostly deal with uh, what's called dysphagia when people have trouble swallowing. I deal with uh, strokes and TBIs and things like that. And I get people back on their feet and get them talking again if they have language issues uh -huh. or I work with memory if they have memory issues or any kind of cognitive, cognitive dysfunction. Now, there's another aspect of speech language pathology, but people work in schools and they help kids learn how to say their R's and their T's and, you know, and that kind of thing. Mm. Uh, so they, there, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of different things going on with it. But, you know, what I do, I do the medical side of it. Okay, gotcha. So it's like speech therapy and rehabilitation, right? Kind of, kind of work. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, you think about physical therapy, like you break your leg or something. You go, you have to do exercises to to strengthen your leg. Mm. Uh, if you have a stroke, then you have to see a speech therapist to teach you how to swallow again, or teach you how to talk again, or you know, work with your memory, whatever it is that your deficit is. Uh -huh. Okay, cool, man. Awesome. Yeah. And and how did you how did you get involved in the in the political world? Because I know that's how we started following each other. I was just sort of seeing a lot of the comments you were putting out there on Twitter and stuff like that. And I was like, I need to need to give this guy a follow. He's saying some he's saying some interesting stuff. And what I love is you're saying stuff that other people are not saying and you're giving other sides to the story that people are not talking about. And I, I respect that. I admire it. I think it takes a lot of courage, um, especially out there in, in the U.S., given the current climate. So what is it that got you involved in that whole conversation? Because it's something a lot of people don't even really want to delve into. And I can't really blame them either. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened is I just started putting ideas out there. Now, I've been uh, apolitical most of my life. And I, I really started paying attention to politics around 2014 when the Ferguson riots were going on, the Mike Brown shooting, all of that stuff. And what had happened, I, I realized that the media wasn't telling the truth politicians weren't telling the truth. 
And it struck me. And so I started researching and started looking into things on my own and started putting things out on social media. And the feedback that I got, uh, you know, I started building a following and the feedback that I got was mm -hmm. that, you know, you're saying things that I think, but I'm either too afraid to say, or, you know, I didn't know how to say it. And so, you know, it started to really resonate with people. And you know, I just, it just built from there. And I just kept putting my ideas out there and, you know, just kind of testing things and you know, build a following on Facebook, build a following on Twitter. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, yeah, I, I kind of fell in my lap. I didn't really plan for, <laughs> plan yeah, for that yeah, to yeah. happen, but you know, the people were really responding to what I was saying. So it, it kind of worked out that way. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, now is a great time for truth seekers and truth speakers. I think there are so many people, I think there's this general hunger for people who are willing to be, firstly, who are re willing to be reasonable and logical and rational, and then also to be authentic and to tell the truth, to not shy away from certain things, et cetera, because there are just certain pre-programmed narratives that sort of exist in the world and that you see on the in the mainstream. And it's like you, most people kind of just stick to maybe one of two or three different storylines and there's no deviation right. from it. There's no mentioning anything that could be, um, you know, that's that, that could show another side of that narrative or whatever it is. So I think there are so many people who are just really hungry for that. I kind of feel the same way. Like I had no, you know, a lot of people view me as some kind of social, political, cultural commentator now, but I mean, I'm yeah. a musician at heart. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't intend to really get involved in these conversations, but when I started to put my thoughts out there, it was just resonating on a, on a whole different level that that I didn't expect, you know, on on a global level too. So, what's your take on, I don't know, like where things are right now? I mean, I'm over here in the UK, I'm I, I'm, I'm seeing what's going on in the US, or at least what what seems to be. Of course, social media only shows you the, the you know the more crazy aspects. But what, what's your take on the whole current situation? Where where do you think we are? What's going on? Yeah, I think we're in trouble, man. And I don't mean to be pessimistic when I say that, but you know, we're we're in a decision point and we have this rise of radical leftism and I keep saying that radical leftism is the it's the most destructive force. It's the single greatest threat to the future of our republic mm -hmm. or wherever it rises in the world. It's it's the single greatest threat and people aren't seeing it. And what they don't understand is that it, it, it's extremist in, in its essence. Mm -hmm. And it, that's not the worst of it. What's the worst of it is that it's culturally acceptable. It's socially acceptable. And it's being mainstreamed in all these different ways. Mm -hmm. So it, when people always bring up like, well, what about the radical right? What about the, the alt-right? What about these neo-Nazis? Yeah, they're bad people. They're terrible. Yeah, they're, they're dangerous. And they should never be anywhere near power at all. Mm -hmm. But they're universally rejected. Nobody is giving them the time of day. Nobody's putting them in office. Nobody's elevating their, their positions, but the radical left. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're getting all of this traction in, you know, Hollywood, mainstream media, professional sports, it's everywhere. Yeah. And so, and so the threat is there and people aren't really seeing it. They're, you know, it's like, well, we need to, we need to do this virtue signaling, you know, what yeah, it, yeah. and, but they're not seeing what's what's underlying it. So with what's going on with Black Lives Matter and Antifa and the riots going on all around the country, mm -hmm. you would think that would wake people up to say that, oh man, this 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 is not good. But instead it's it's fueling the fire and, and people are becoming more radicalized. Mm -hmm. So I, I think we're in trouble. I think we need to really, really push back on it and we need to be really make a strong message. Um, or, or we risk losing, losing what we fought for. Yeah. And yeah, so it's a, it's an issue, man. So yeah, I, I am concerned for sure. Why do you think that people, a lot of people still don't see this? I mean, some of us, I assume, you know, yourself, myself, we've seen this, you know, the past sort of seven, eight years, we've, we've seen this, but there seem to be so many people out there, both in the general populace, but also, you know, of course, unsurprisingly on the mainstream channels, but even just in the general world who even I speak to, and it's like, there's just this total unwillingness to even recognize that there is an issue on the left side of the political spectrum. Mm -hmm. It's like everyone, like despite the fact, you know, like you said, the, the radical right is far less prominent and far less excused and condoned 
than the radical left is. But despite that, there's this, uh, sometimes I feel like I'm living in this alternate reality where I'm seeing things that other people are, I'm I'm just like, how are you not seeing this? Like after all of this time, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, after a while, but I'm kind of like, come on, this has been going on for years and years now. How can you not see the potential danger of some of this stuff? So why is it that you think some people see it and some people don't? Because like, you know, like, and everybody thinks they're right. You know, I think I'm right. You think you're right. Um, I think you're right. But (laughs) I, I like, I'll be talking to someone else and I'm just like, do we just live in like a, some parallel realities going on or something because it, it's so strange to me because they'll be seeing you know they'll be talking to me about oh my gosh the potential rise of right-wing fascism and uh you know donald trump taking away democracy and this and that and i'm just like what you know what i mean and, and <laughs> right. i mean that's even what the democrats are running on right like they're running on this whole idea that um you know what do they say about trump that he's dangerous that he's an existential he's threat to america mm-hmm. that he's a threat to democracy that he's, you know, potentially fascist, you know, Hitler comparisons, all this kind of stuff. And I'm just like, you know, someone doesn't need to like Trump, but to talk to talk in that sort of language. I mean, the other day, Joe Biden, didn't he say that he's he's potentially going to be responsible for hurricanes or something? And yeah, I'm just they, like, they blamed it for hurricanes. Yeah, and, and I'm just like, what is going on here? Like, I, I don't I don't understand this. And, you know, I look from yeah. a distance, but you're you're there, you're in the country. So what do you think is going on? How, how have we been led to this place with two different realities? Yeah, you know, and I've made that point before that I feel like that I live in a separate universe from, from some of the stuff that I hear, especially mm. when you watch the mainstream media, you watch CNN, MSNBC, and some of the stuff they talk about. It's like, what world are these people living in? I don't, I look around, I don't see any of this. Yeah. So I, I think part of it, I think part of it is that most of the country is apolitical mm-hmm. because when I, when I was apolitical, and didn't really pay much attention to politics. You know, the mainstream media was my, that was my source of information. I didn't mm-hmm. go research stuff on my own. I mean, not very much. I, yeah. I didn't have time to do it. Um, and I think most people are like that. People have jobs, people have families, people, people don't really pay, pay much attention except what they hear in the mainstream media. And so they kind of absorb that. And so in that sense, I, I hold the media accountable for distorting the picture. Mm. And then you have, the, you have the other side where there's just tribalism and, you know, people dig their heels in and they're not going to change their mind no matter what evidence presents itself because they have to stick to their tribe. Yeah. And the good evidence is of this is what, what, recent, uh, what recently went on with the UAE and Israel Mm-hmm. And Bahrain and the whole the whole thing with you know Trump trying to you know in, uh, facilitate peace in the Middle East, yeah. and you look at the response to that, and people are just poo pooing it and just mm-hmm. you know <laughs> just completely just disregarding it. I mean, it's a it's a big deal. It is a big deal, and if you can't acknowledge that it's a big deal, then we have bigger issues, and that's just the microcosm of what's actually happening. So when you have something like somebody's pushing the 1619 project or, you know, just the idea of systemic racism Mm -hmm. and then people just, they just accept it like, oh yeah, well they're talking about, so that's, that's reality or this is my tribe and I'm going to go along with them because if I criticize the 1619 project or if I criticize systemic racism, then I'm going to be ostracized. They're going to come after me. I don't want that to happen. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I need to stick with my tribe. And, you know, I don't want to give Trump any credence. I don't want to give the right any credence. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to elevate these issues. And I, and I think it's just spiraling out of control. People don't, people don't realize, or maybe they do, maybe they do realize how bad it is and, they're, and it's too late. Like they're yeah. in too deep, you know? So yeah, I, I think there's a lot of different aspects to it. And you have the, the bandwagon effect and you have all these different things of tribalism and it's, it's hard to tell, but yeah, it's, it's an issue. Yeah. I mean, what are your, what are your thoughts on, you know, you use the term systemic racism and I'll be honest, like I'm tired of talking about race. I'm tired of talking about racism. I'm tired of so, talking about man. like this stuff in general. Like I really would love to get to a state. I'm like you, right? I want to yeah. get to a stage where it's just like, come on, man. Like, can we just, can we just stop? Like we're not having conversations about people's eye color and hair color and how tall they are and whatever. So, right. you know, of all the things to talk about, I just find it kind of boring, but it's impossible not to, because in order to combat it, in order to counterpoint some, some things, you you're forced to use the terminology you're forced to get Mm -hmm. dragged into it all and 
you know, I, I'm person. I personally don't like. Certainly, in the modern day sense, I don't find the term systemic racism or institutional racism to be particularly useful. And I think that the way these terms are often used is simply as a weapon. But there are other people I know, you know, both here in, in, in the UK and also in the US and other countries who are like, no, Zubi, like systemic and institutional racism is very real and very rife in 2020. It's still a major problem. It needs to be addressed, etc. So what is your take on, you know, as, as an American, what, what is your take on, I guess, number one, the the these the this terminology itself but also what the reality of race relations or racism in the US is because everyone seems to have really really diverging opinions and also experiences on this and I can understand look if someone has really experienced something based on where they live or who they know or whatever then they're going to have a real different view to someone who's just like you know what like I get on with everyone and every everything is fine. I'm not really experiencing this. So mm -hmm. what are your personal thoughts on all that? Because I know that's another thing you, you speak on. Yeah, yeah. You know, the systemic racism thing is, it, it's so pervasive. Uh, the terminology, you know, they come up with these terms. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it, I guess I would start with saying that um, disparities do not equal bias and people get that people get that confused and so what happens is they see these disparities in statistics and then they use that as an example of systemic racism so mm -hmm. if there's a disparity between white people and black people wealth gap or something like that mm -hmm. then they'll use that as an example of systemic racism but like you said they're using it as a tool uh, as a weapon they're using it as a tool to gain power and it's not it's not helpful mm -hmm. now there's I'm not going to say that there's not historical effects. Obviously there are. Yeah. And I'm not going to say there's not racism. Obviously there is. Mm -hmm. But the question is how pervasive is it and how much is it impacting people's day-to-day -day lives? And when people talk about systemic racism, they're talking about the you know this historical effects and that you know what happened in the in the past mm -hmm. or you know is baked into the system mm -hmm. and that people can't advance because of that. And so, you know, what I think about is you know if something bad happens to my grandma, let's say she's a, a millionaire or something, and then you know something bad happens to her, she lose, loses all her money, yeah. and then she's destitute. And now my family is destitute. And then I'm born into destitution, whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, can I blame my circumstances on what happened to my grandma? Like, or even worse, my great, great, great grandma. Mm -hmm. Can I blame my failures in life and what happened to her? So I don't see that. Like you can acknowledge the past and say, okay, like we understand where this is coming from. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's not an, it's not an excuse. It's not a reason to, to work around and say, yeah, well, I, I, I didn't succeed because my grandma got mugged when, yeah. you know, before I was born. And so I, I, I don't get, I, I don't agree with the systemic racism idea at all. Okay. I think there are instances of racism mm -hmm. and I think that they can be addressed on an individual basis. Mm -hmm. So like you can root it out, you know, you look at policing. So if you have a police officer that, you know, is targeting people based on race. Yeah. Like go after him, go after him, take his badge. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if he hurts somebody, send him to prison, you know, uh, whatever. But, to say that the entire institution of law enforcement is racist because yeah. of this one officer, it's a logical fallacy. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. And but so people will just lock, people latch onto this because mm -hmm. it gives them power, it gives them social credit, and it gives them a way to manipulate people. Yeah. And you know, it's so it's it's an issue. And I don't get like I said, I don't subscribe to it at all, and it gets me in trouble. But you know, it doesn't make sense to me. I, yeah. It just, yeah, it's, it's not and, logical. And, and, and it's disempowering too. That's the thing. I find it really disempowering. Um, yeah. And like you said, you know, I don't know anybody. There's no on, on the, you know, left, right, center of the political spectrum who is trying to deny history, who's, you know, trying to say that slavery never happened or Jim Crow right. never happened or, um, you know, certain policies never happened. Like I'm not, nobody is saying that. I think the, the question is around, you know, I guess, yeah, number one, how much is that affecting people's current situations? And then beyond that, what can be done going forward? Because the, the past is always immutable. 
past is always immutable individually collectively nationally internationally you can never change the past history is history so right. it's always like okay we're now in 2020 what can be done now in 2020 individually collectively at a policy level at a cultural level etc to move things forward and i agree with you i don't think that y just yelling these terms these buzzwords institutional racism and systemic racism over and over without going into detail on what specific systems or individuals or policies or laws are still causing this problem um it, it's just like it's this sort of invisible boogeyman that you can always yeah. just throw out there and people cheer and people are like yes this is a this person is so educated because they said institutional race like i think people think it makes them sound smart just when you say that <laughs> right. word right it, yeah. it makes them sound yeah, smart right just like when you say um yeah i don't know if someone talks about like heteronormativity or the patriarchy <laughs> right they just they just they, they just think it makes them sound smart and mm -hmm. i'm like no it's just it's a useless buzzword if you just say institutional racism like and that's supposed to end the conversation then it's like no it's like okay like let's go into that then like what specifically are we talking about and then people don't want to have the conversation and they'll you know at that point they'll normally just insult you and tell you to educate yourself and the conversation's right. over and as long as people do that it's like look nothing nothing changes you know nothing well, changes yeah. and like i said yeah it is a means of emotional blackmail because if, if somebody says that there's systemic racism and they say that all white people are racist under this system even whether they intend to be or not then they can make that person do whatever they want if they yep. can if they can get in there so if that if the white person has a an opinion about something they'll mm -hmm. say oh yeah well that's it's systemic racism and mm -hmm. you're white you're white explaining and yep. you're racist yeah. even if you're not if, intending if you to accept so. if you accept it it's white guilt if you deny it then it's white fragility Right. Yeah. It's, and it's there's great, no, it's so clever. <laughs> no getting around it. <laughs> it's so clever. It's like, no matter, no matter what you do, you are complicit in the system. Like no, right. no yeah. matter, no matter what you do. Um, it is the ultimate Kafka trap, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's, the, it's amazing. And I'm surprised that people don't see through it, but yeah. And I think, I think there's a lot of fear surrounding it too, because I mean, there are real world effects to this because there's a lot of power in pushing systemic racism and so if somebody comes out and says like I, I think there was a there was a there was a guy at mit that lost his job because he just questioned the george floyd situation right oh, wow. like he just questioned it like he just said well i i don't know maybe it wasn't due to racism and mm -hmm. you know people lost their minds they were like oh no canceled you're done yeah, yep. <laughs> and he lost it he had to resign yeah. so there are real world effects so people are afraid if somebody accuses them of racism they're like oh yeah well i guess i am racist so uh <laughs> like what do, what do I do to to save myself and so and a lot of people go along with it but I mean it's just so absurd on its face you know, yeah it's absurd on its face and there's no logic to it yeah I mean so yeah. one thing that I mean you certainly do is you absolutely do use your black privilege to speak on some things that you would just not be able to <laughs> let's yeah, be honest yeah. right you, you, I, I you say that not, all the time you would not be able to <laughs> if you were yeah. um if you were not black right even me being black but not being an american i get people telling me to you know shut up about anything to do with america if i say something yeah. that people people don't like or whatever but um i mean something you talk about a lot which is a point i make a lot and you really go into detail on this by finding the individual cases is talking about um violence in general within um certain black american communities so mm -hmm. you've got 99 percent of the world right now which you know focused on these rare and obviously unfortunate circumstances where um people are killed by the police in dubious circumstances and which which you know i think it's worth highlight people are talking like this is some epidemic but the reason it's even a thing, the reason we even talk about it is in fact because it because it is rare, right? If if stuff like what happened to George Floyd was happening multiple times a day, every single day, then it almost wouldn't even be a big thing, right? Like people wouldn't right. make a huge deal about it. But despite its rarity, that's the thing people cling on. Whereas on a day-to-day -day basis, on a week-to-week -week basis, you have dozens, hundreds, on an annual basis, thousands of some you know real brutal murders and things like that that are going on which are also largely black lives right this is this is that whole thing right so people are chanting black lives matter black lives matter whatever but they don't want to talk about the 99 percent of more than 99 percent right they don't want to talk about the 99.8 99.9 percent 
of black people who are getting killed in these circumstances that they are not so easily able to politicize, to perpetuate their narrative, which I find deeply unpleasant. Like that's something that I find like genuinely upsetting. You know, when you're seeing these images of, of children, of babies, of all these people, you know, getting getting shot, you know, drive by, like all this crazy stuff. And there's silence, you know, there's no say their names. There's no marches. There's no chance. There's no protest, whatever. It's like, you know, that's swept to the side. But then you'll get a situation. I mean, there have even, even been situations where a police killing is justified and people mm -hmm. are still going out and protesting and marching and acting as if the situation wasn't the situation. So, I mean, I don't even know what the question is here, but can, can you speak on, on your feelings of that? Because I know that's something I find yeah. very frustrating. Yeah, I'm with you, man. And that has been, it, it, that has risen to the top of my, my consciousness, mm. uh, particularly recently, uh, because I didn't realize just how bad the problem was. So I was guilty of it too. Mm. And you know, we're talking about, and the last I looked is 56 kids, 12 and under who have been killed this year in street violence. And, you know, 55 unarmed people of all races were killed by police all of last year. Yeah. So there's, there's already been more kids who have been killed in street violence, uh, innocent kids, mm -hmm. you know, 12 and under, I think we can assume that those are innocent, innocent children being, yeah, yeah. being shot in drive-bys and things like that. And, you know, more kids been have been killed than unarmed people all of last year. Mm -hmm. And you have to think that, you know, a lot of most of those unarmed people that were killed by police were actually actively trying to kill police. They were, yeah. they were trying to run over cops with their cars or mm -hmm. somebody with them was armed or, you know, they were choking a cop that, mm -hmm. you know, all of this different stuff. So it's not like all of those, all of those were unjustified. Very, yeah. very, very few amount of these shootings are justified. Mm -hmm. And yeah, like you said, and you look at police shootings as a whole, you know, 99.99% of people who are arrested by police are not killed. It's 0.01%. That, yeah. That's, you know, that police arrest about 10 million people in America and kill and their police shootings end up dying. The, the suspects end up dying in about a thousand. Okay. So a thousand out of 10 million, it's 0.01%. That's one per every 10,000 arrests. Mm -hmm. That is not an epidemic. No. It's, it's and, just and that, not. And that thousand out of that thousand, you know, I'd imagine over 90% are completely justified. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, like I said, only 55 yeah. were unarmed. Mm -hmm. So the vast, vast majority were armed and actively trying to kill police. Yeah. And, and we're not talking about like legally armed either. We're not talking about people that were concealed carry. Yeah. We're talking about people that were actually actively trying to kill police. And then when you break it down even further, only 14 were black, mm -hmm. only 14. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, the 44 million people, 44 million black people in this country, 14 black people unarmed, killed by police. Yeah. Then we have 56 uh, innocent children mm -hmm. and we still have three months to go in the year yeah and, and 56 and, and children you, killed and if you go beyond children it's wasn't it over seven thousand in total exactly like so yeah over seven thousand in total yeah. yeah and i was going to say if you expand it to under 18 even okay like you have hundreds yeah. on this year and it, it's been like uh, 150 since june since george floyd died yeah so so i always ask the question like how how many more children have to die before we get as outraged as we do when one criminal gets killed by police. Mm. They, and, you know, part of it is probably video. You know, if we had a kid on video being killed, maybe that would cause more outrage. Mm, maybe so. Because, you know, you know, because the George Floyd killing, uh, well, I don't want to say killing because, you know, it's not, it's not certain that's what happened. But um, I mean, that case is still ongoing. But when he died, that was on video. And mm. that, that caused the you know, that caused a big reaction and everybody, every, nobody was like, yeah, this is awesome. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. like people, yeah, it, it was upsetting, yeah. but people, what happened was people expanded it. And um, Shelby still talks about this a lot that you, they take one instance and they expand it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even if it's, even if it's not yeah, exactly racism, even if it, there's no evidence of racism, which there wasn't in the yeah. George Floyd case, uh, they'll expand it to say, yeah, well, oh, dude, this do you, is do you know how much do you evidence. know how much heat I've caught for saying that? <laughs> that there was no evidence specifically that that was a racist, which is which yeah. is a fact. It's a fact. Like, the amount of heat I've caught from that is me too. Unbelievable. I'm just like, look, I don't care about feelings like I'm this. I'm not staying in an opinion. Like if it comes out that, 
you know, this cop has some racist history or whatever, then right. boom, that's, that's evidence. But right. without that, like this assumption that any, um, you know, white person who harms or kills a black person that that in itself is evidence of racism. I think, you know, again, even, even that in itself is a big problem. Even that right. in itself is a big problem. Um, but yeah, no, I don't want to, I don't want to interrupt, man. Carry on what you're saying. No, you're good. That, yeah. yeah, I agree because that, I mean, and I've said that, made that point before as well, that it seems like people think that everything negative that happens to a black person at the hands of a white person is automatically racism. Mm -hmm. And that causes all kinds of issues because I mean, I, that's racist in and of itself because you're making judgments about another person based on their race. Yeah. And you know, people don't like to hear that. So I've got a lot of heat for that as yeah. well. Just making those, those, uh, you know, just obvious factual statements. Yeah. And, you know, all of a sudden you're a race trader because, you know, you, yeah, you don't want to jump out there and say, yeah, he was, he was definitely racist. This is definitely yeah. a racist killing. I mean, it's crazy. And so, I but and I, yeah, sorry, man, let me jump in. I think there's also okay. a big problem, especially, I think maybe some of this stems from social media as well, which is that that's what people get rewarded for saying, right? So if you are, especially if you're a celebrity, if you're a blue check, whatever, if you come out there and you say, this, this is evidence of, you know, this is the everyday life of black Americans who are fearing for their lives of being murdered by the police. This happens every single day. Um, this is evidence of white supremacy and racism and this and like using all of that stuff that's that's how you get the hundred thousand likes that's how you get the mad retweets that's how mm -hmm. you get the people calling you brave and stunning and wow and amazing and so <laughs> people are like yeah. incentivized to come up with these ridiculously hyperbolic takes of you know this is the reality of black america every time a black person leaves their house they're afraid of being murdered by the police and you know and people are just saying this yeah. wild stuff where i'm just like come on man i'm pretty i'm not a black american but i'm pretty certain that all 44 million of you are not every time you step out of your house terrified of the police just sniping you i mean you know it's just like come yeah. come on like you 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 can make the point you can make a point without being insanely hyperbolic and just appealing to people's emotions and trying to get people all jacked up and i just i don't know as someone who's just like a calm reasonable thinker i just find it so <laughs> so annoying because yeah. you you then can't have the the serious proper conversation because people are just conflating absolutely everything and then people will start posting up pictures of things that happened a hundred years ago and saying see nothing has changed and you're just like come on man like you like yeah. you know they'll, they'll take a picture of you know Derek Chauvin on George Floyd's neck and then they'll have a picture of like a, a lynching and the, you know like a, a, an actual lynching right. of like you know KKK members you know and a black man hanging from a tree and they'll be see nothing has changed and you're just like bro come on man like Right. Stop, stop yeah, no, that. Stop that. Same. Yeah, same. And, you know, it, do you think LeBron James is really afraid to oh, leave his on, house? <laughs> like, do, you think, <laughs> it, do you think that's actually for real? There's no way. Like, come on, man. Like, so, yeah, so you're right. I think that there there is some incentive there to just, you know, put out just the most outrageous stuff. Yeah. And to, you know, we talk about virtue signaling and, you know, I, we, I guess we could call it victim signaling because mm. it gets people you know, it gets people that social credit, like we were talking about earlier, and yeah. it gets people the likes and it gets people the, the, the street cred. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's crazy because there's no way that, <laughs> that LeBron actually feels like, I think it was Tiffany Haydish uh, said she didn't want to bring a kid into the world oh, because like she, she didn't want them to be killed by police. It's and I'm so... thinking like, <laughs> I'm thinking like, like, listen, like 99.9% of, uh, of homicides are uh, other black people. You know, nine, black people are killed by other black people yeah. in almost every case. So Certainly if you're going to be worried about getting killed, yeah. yeah, yeah. So if you're going to worry about being killed, then, you know, you should worry about that, yeah. which, you know, which is outrageous. And that really puts it in perspective. Like, are we going to fear other black people? Is that what we should do? No, it doesn't make any sense. So yeah. it doesn't make any sense to fear, fear police either. But I think you're spot on. I think it, it's definitely incentivized for people to do this. Now, the, the other aspect too, with another thing that gets me in a lot of trouble with, with black people specifically is, I think that the victim, the victimhood is tied directly to black identity in America. Mm. I, I can't talk about the rest of the world, but in America, 
because it's been such a big part of our history mm. that it's become a part of so many people's identity. Yeah. So if you take grievance away, then you take away identity mm. and people lose who they are. So they have an incentive to perpetuate grievance. Yeah. And I, I think that's why we see so many hoaxes. That's why we see many, so many people pretending to be victimized and trying to find microaggressions and all this other crazy stuff <laughs> because, because they, they need it for their identity. Yeah. That's how they identify, right? Yeah. So, and if you take that away, you, you take them away. So they really resist you know, like if I say, oh, systemic racism is a thing, they resist yeah. that because I'm saying that they're not a thing. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Now, they're not going to admit that oh, <laughs> on, the, on its face. Not. Yeah, they're not going to say, yeah, that's that you're spot on. But I, I think it's an unconscious thing, a subconscious mm -hmm. thing. But I, I really think that's what's going on because, you know, why else would you perpetuate victimhood? Why else would you want to be seen as a victim? You look at actual victims, people mm -hmm. who mm -hmm. people who have actually been victimized. They don't behave this way. Yeah. They they don't want the spotlight on them. They don't want to be out here reliving their victimhood. They don't want to. They don't want the hyperbole. They don't want people making a bigger deal out of their victimhood than what it actually is. Mm -hmm. So they're they're like you said, it's an incentive. And and we think about like, okay, what is incentivizing people to do this? Yeah. And I, I think it's tied to identity. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's identity, and I think the also big one is that it's um it provides a permanent excuse or alibi. Right? Yeah, if you agree, it, it gives. So, if you take that away, then people are forced to think about their own personal responsibility and their own actions, and perhaps how they themselves or their friends or their community, etc., is complicit in part of the problem. Right. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you can always blame everything on racism or you can always blame everything on the patriarchy or you can always blame everything on, um, you know, look, everyone's done this before. This is not a it's not a unique thing. Right. Blame it all on the rich people. Blame it right. all on the black people. Blame it all on the Jewish people. Blame mm -hmm. it all on the white. Like it, it, this is this is not unique. You look at different countries, you look at history, this whole idea of collective guilt and sort of collective scapegoating and saying, OK, the problem is this group of people or it's this sort of whole general concept that just exists out there. Um, and, you know, you can throw the word systemic or um, institutional or um, what's the other one? Uh, there's another one, structural in front of structural, it. Structural, yeah. Yeah, to, you know, you can then you can throw like whatever ism, you know, sexism, racism, whatever. And yeah, it, it cows people, you know, it cows people, but it, it people – like you said, I think people like it because partly it's their identity, but then also it, yeah, it gives them a, it's a permanent excuse. Like if, if I believe, if I believe that the UK is systematically, structurally and institutionally racist and that the whole system, the whole country, everything in my society is designed to stop me from succeeding, man, that's a great excuse not to succeed. Like anything, right. anything I fail at, anything I try and I fail, like if I, I launch my podcast, and it doesn't do as well as I want it to, I can say, well, you know, it's harder for me because I'm black, right? If I were white, yeah. my podcast would be have more subscribers, right? If I want to do this thing and I say, oh, you know, I, I apply for, I'm not applying for a job, but I apply for a job and I don't get the job, I can say, well, you know, maybe they were racist. You right? run for president and you, yeah. you don't, you don't you, get it. You, yeah, you, <laughs> you don't, don't get it. You know, Kamala that, Harris. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She, uh, yeah, obviously she it's did. racist. And she did that. Racist, <laughs> and, racist and sexist, right? And racist sexist, and both, sexist, yeah. right? You know, oh, yeah. she's a woman of color, so... You know, she's just entitled to it, despite being Obviously. a horrible person. And it's it's so tiring as well. And I'll tell you why it's also tiring to me is because you can't have equality and special treatment. Like you've got to pick right. one. You know, you have to pick one. If you want to go with the victimhood narrative, then okay, you need to accept that you're not really you're not really equal, right? You want special treatment, right? You want the affirmative action. You want mm. the you know white people to step aside to give you the movie role to give you that opportunity you know, to give you this, to give you that, in which case you are accepting that you are not equal. But if you actually truly want equality, like true equality, then you have to, people need to stop hiding behind their identity, right? Every time something doesn't go well for you, if you put a ridiculous idea out there in the public and people criticize you for it, and then you start calling them racist, it's like, no, you can't, you can't keep playing that card, you know? You can't just go, oh, I'm a woman, so they, you know, this is misogyny. It's like, come on, like, that's lame. Right. If you're going right. to do that, then, you know, I'm always like, look, pick one. You can be you can have special treatment or you can have equal treatment. And right. there's there's nothing in the middle. 
I agree with that hundred percent. Like, why would you, why would you want, yeah. If you, if you call yourself, you know, fierce and independent and kings and everything else, like, like, why would you want that handicap? Why would you want people to see that? you know, like if you're going out and golfing, like you don't want the handicap. (laughs) Like if you want to be equal, Mm -hmm. like you don't, you don't want to be seen that way. Like, Oh, I'm not as good. I'm not as powerful. I'm not as strong. And I made the point the other day that, that, yeah, like if you're going to push systemic racism and you're going to push this idea that there's these invisible barriers that stop black people from succeeding, you're basically making the point that white people are just more powerful and superior to you mm-hmm. just by existing. Yeah, that's right. And so you're pushing white supremacy mm-hmm. just repackaged. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, of course, people don't see it that way, but that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Like you're lowering yourself mm-hmm. and saying that, oh, I can't succeed because of these, these barriers that I can't even identify, <laughs> yeah. you know, and it's just because white people are existing. Mm-hmm. And, and so I'm going to complain about, you know, the, this terminology or the definitions of these words or, you know, little kids wearing costumes because that oppresses <laughs> don't me. Get me <laughs> yeah. don't, get me sta- don't get me started on those ones. Man. Don't get me started on those ones. So it's just, yeah, so it's here's crazy. a question, man. I mean, why do you think that, why, why are you, why are you immune to this? Right? What, what is it that stops someone like yourself, stops someone like myself, stops someone, you know, there are people out there who totally, you know, don't go along with all of these narratives and who don't feel this particular way and are not locked into this sort of collective, um, you know, lockstep thinking. So mm-hmm. what, what do you think that is? Is it, do you think it's something in your background, in your personality, something you experienced? Um, you know, I, I'm just wondering what it is that makes, I'm, I'm curious as to why people are the way they are. So I just wonder, given this thing is so appealing to so many people, especially in the U S why, you know, what is it that makes you different? Yeah. And you know, it wasn't always like that. Okay. I, I, I was, I was in that camp where I put my race as the primary aspect of my identity. I subscribed to the victimhood. Uh, I blamed my failures on, on racism. And I, I was there. I was, okay. I was one of those people. And, uh, you know, it, it, it was an awakening for me. And, and I, I use that uh, carefully because, you know, <laughs> the, the stigma around the word woke, you know, <laughs> but, it, but it really was. Yeah, that was an awakening for me where I realized that, you know, as, the way I was seeing the world was not accurate. Mm. And it, it's really hard to describe how that happened. It was a gradual process for me. But one of the big things I credit for it is that, you know, kind of shirking my identity. Like I talked about that earlier, but shirking my identity in race and putting it somewhere else. And so I find my identity in Christ. I find my identity in um, my, my role as a father and as a husband and in the work that I do as the artist and as a, you know, on, as a political commentator and as a speech language pathologist. Mm-hmm. And now race, you know, my skin color is very, very far down the list. Mm-hmm. And so what I think happens, you know, if you look at the, the voting habits of black people in America, and we're talking like, I think it's 90% over, maybe over 90% of black people vote for the Democrat, Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. And, and what the, it's, it's groupthink. It's groupthink. And it's this, this idea that we have to have some kind of racial allegiance and in the past, that was true. You know, black people had to stick together and then we had to, you know, we had to be this cohesive unit in order to survive. Mm. And so people are carrying that over into 2020 when it's not necessary anymore. And it's actually destructive mm. and feeling like we have to be this cohesive unit. We have to think the same and, and, and act the same and have the same ideas and the same, the same um, general push toward goals. And, you know, black people, black people say we're not a monolith, mm-hmm. but when you look at it, you know, like there's a very strong, a very strong pull to toe the line. Yeah. And if you don't, then here come the attack uh, act, the, the attacks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here come um, Uncle, Tom, Uncle yeah. Tom, the yeah. coon, the race traders. So the minute you step out of that, then you're ostracized and yeah. your black your black card is taken away. Mm-hmm. So if you find your identity, if race is the most important thing to you and your, you find your identity in race, 
then losing that, losing your race card and having being ostracized from your community, that's, that's a big deal. That's, you know, you're not going to want that to happen. Yeah. So I, I, I think people are resistant to, to that aspect because of the group, the group mm. think pull. And I don't mean that to be, to be disparaging, just looking at yeah, it from a, just, yeah. from a psychological aspect. I think that's what's going on. Mm. Well, I mean, look, human, human beings are naturally wired to want to fit in fit in with a group, right? Ostracization is physically and mentally painful for us, right? I mean, right. you know, historically getting ejected or ostracized from a tribe, whether that's, you know, an ethnic tribe or um, a, a particular geographic location or um, a religion, whatever it was. I mean, that's, you know, excommunication. That's like, that's like a, a severe, a severe punishment, you know, you might not right. even survive it. So I think that humans are naturally still wired to to feel that way and what it seems to me in my observation is that like i think a, a small percentage of people are those kind of enforcers or attack dogs right the ones who throw out those racial epithets and those labels and whatever right i don't think again i, I think that's quite a small minority of people but it's enough to keep everybody else in check right, right? so yeah. i think you know even if when i Look, I mean, I'm connected to thousands of black Americans actually on social media and I get a lot of messages. I get a lot of emails. I get a lot of support. Right. So, yeah, I get some public hate, but I get a lot of support. But it tends to be more quiet. Like, a lot of it is people saying, saying, like, you know what, man, I watch your interview on, you know, on Ben Shapiro or on Joe Rogan. Or and like, man, you're you know, I'm, I was listening to you and Candace and like, I love what you're doing. I love what you're saying. I feel the same way, but I can't really yeah. say it publicly because, <laughs> right. you know the attack dogs are going to get set on me, you know? So I'm people like guys like us are kind of taking the bullets, <laughs> taking the bullets for, for other people. Um, I'm, I'm okay with that. Yeah. 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 And it, it, reaches, it reaches a point where you don't care. It's like, you know what? Um, you know, so, someone called me a coon the other day and I said, you know what? You're right. I'm a clever. Right. I said, I'm a clever, original, opinionated Negro. <laughs> I was like, you know, I was, I'll take it. I was like, okay, like, you know what? That. Let me, let me not even push back. Like, I'll, I'll, yes, you're, you're right. You know, you're just right. Just own it. Yeah. Because yeah, because yeah. it takes the power from it. You know, because they think right. they can just call you that. They don't need to make an argument. You know, they never make an argument. They'll just throw that yeah, label. Never. Right. And that's supposed to be enough to make you go, oh, maybe I should, you know, maybe I should back down and stay quiet. Yeah, it's supposed to make you cow. You're supposed to bow like, oh man, don't, don't call me that. Exactly. <laughs> like you're supposed to, yeah, it's supposed to really hurt you. Cause yeah. they, cause like I said, like if you find your identity in that and then that is the hardest place that they can hit you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've made that point before, even with white people, like, like white people that may not be uh, necessarily racist may use the N word mm -hmm. uh, in a, in a moment of anger and rage. Mm -hmm against a black person. And they, the reason that they would do that is because they know that that word is, it, it carries a lot of weight and it's going to hurt that person. So, I mean, I'm not justifying them saying it, obviously it's, yeah, of course a, it's a horrible thing to do, but you know, when people say, why would, why would a person do that? That's why, because they know that that's going to hurt you. And black people do the same thing. They're yep. going to call you certain names and they're going to try to get at you mm -hmm. where they think they can hurt you mm -hmm. and to try to keep you in line. So yeah. I'm, and, and then spot two on, seconds man. later, they'll be saying black lives matter and that black lives matter, <laughs> pro black support black businesses. I'm like, I own a black business. I, I own multiple black businesses. Like, you know, like, so. <laughs> support, but yeah, I made that point about like, yeah. uh, like how the media is, Elevate, elevate black voices, uh, oh, except, no, for not, yeah. except for you, except for you. Not Candace, not Larry Elder, not, not no, Zuby. No, 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 they're not black. They're not, they're not black. Joe, Bi Joe Biden told us. <laughs> he told us. <laughs> he told us. Uh, notable exceptions. Oh, um, man. That's yeah, it's, it's wild, man. Yeah. But I mean, bro, I mean, what, what's the, what do you think is the way forward? Where, where would you like to see things go yeah. in your lifetime? My, so, so my biggest goal is to uh, initiate a paradigm shift in society. I, I don't think I'll see it in, in my generation, mm. maybe not in my kids' generation, but I, I just want to see it start to shift where we, we de-emphasize the role that race plays in identity mm. and just in society as a whole. Like I teach my kids that skin color eye color, hair color, they're all equal. They're all, you know, they're all as equally consequential to your identity mm. and, you know, elevating your skin color above hair color and eye color doesn't make any sense. So my kids don't really have a 
racial identity right yeah. now. They're just kids. You know, sure. they're just, they're, yeah, they're just, be, they're yeah. just, they're just being kids. Mm -hmm. And I hope that lasts as long as possible. So I think the way for, forward is just to start seeing people as human beings, recognizing that we each have individual differences. Yeah. You know, when we span the entire spectrum of human variation and each individual has their own uniqueness to them. So if yeah. we can, if we can acknowledge each individual as a unique individual, whatever their heritage is, you know, they, they have a different hair color, different high co eye color, different skin color, different height, weight, voice type, nose mm -hmm. shape, whatever, you know, like we, we acknowledge them as an individual mm -hmm. and we don't put so much stock on skin color and so yeah. much heavy, heavy weight on skin color. Mm. And we have to get away from that. And so I think the way forward is to just really de-emphasize that and move, move more and more into a post-racial society by, by leading the way with our kids and teaching each successive generation that this is the way we do it. This is how we get past this. Yeah, no, I hear you, man. And I think that's a big reason why I'm the way I am. Because, you know, I grew up in the Middle East and Saudi Arabia. And from, from the beginning of my life, I was surrounded by people who are, you know, all different races, ethnicities, skin colors, religions, whatever. So from mm -hmm. a child, it was just, it was just never a thing, you know, like we, we all have eyes, right? Like, you know, you can, sure. you can see what people look like. You can observe it, but right. it just, it just wasn't an issue. It was just like, cool. Like, these are just, these are just my friends. Like just people. There's no, it's just not people. like, oh, you know, like this child is white and this one is black and this one is brown. And, and then because of that, this one is privileged and this one is under, you know what I mean? Like right, people are right. now being, yeah. you're supposed to, you now have people walking around with this mindset where you like, they want to automatically see you. They would, they see you, they see me and they infer, right? It's totally fine to look, I can acknowledge that, you know, Zuby has brown skin. Leonidas has, has brown skin. Right. But right. like, that's, that's all that you, that's all you can infer, right? They shouldn't be then going. So therefore th these are your political opinions. Right. And this is your financial situation. And this is how smart you are. And this is what you've experienced and what you haven't experienced. And this is what you should think about, like every single subject under the sun. And when people that that's the thing I find offensive is when people have this huge idea of like, OK, you know, this one thing about me. And so you think that, you know, all of the rest of this stuff, that, that's the kind of stuff you, you tend to get more from like liberals, liberals and progressives. Yeah. And then when you show them that you are not on board with some of the things they're saying, like they, they become very, either they get very confused, which is fair, because then you can kind of show them, but oftentimes they get hostile, right? They, they get, get kind of, yeah. they get kind of like, what do you mean you're not a victim? Like, of course you suffer. <laughs> of course, of course you're <laughs> suffering under the racial, of the, the racial oppression system. Like, what, what do you even mean? Like, you need to educate yourself. And it's like, oh, thank you. Right. Thank you. Yeah, learn well, your history. Yeah. It's like, th <laughs> thank you. you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, woke white person, for for telling me about you know racism that I've ha that I've experienced, and it's just like, yeah. and and there's like just this total lack of self awareness and humility to just be like, oh okay, you know, like let's just view everyone as individuals, and yeah, sure, look, there are people who have had bad. I've spoken to people you know who have had bad experiences, and sure. I've spoken to people who have you know barely barely experienced. That. I've spoken to white people who have experienced quite severe yeah. racism yeah. right especially if they've gone right. to you know a school where they're a minority as a right. white person etc so it's like this idea that th everything is sort of unique to one group or that because you're part of this group um that you've like experienced something it's just um i don't know and, and again it's just annoying because it, it's illogical and it's irrational it's it's just false it's not it's not it accurate right if, if it were well, accurate then you know yeah go ahead yeah, you know, well, I mean, you think about where it originated from, and and it was the basis. That kind of ideology was the basis for for racism, it for was, yeah. segregation, mm -hmm. like that whole thing. Yet separating people into these identity groups based on their skin color, mm -hmm. based on their race, and and then treating them differently or making judgments about. I mean, that's ra <laughs> that's racism. It's the Real foundation time. for for segregation. So I always say, why would we want to perpetuate these traditions? Why would yeah. we want to continue? Uh, you know, when we look back on history and we see how much damage it caused, you know, viewing the entire world through a racial lens mm -hmm. and you making that the priority, you see how much destruction that caused. Why would we want to continue that? Yeah. And like you, you talk about white liberals and, you know, I think a lot of people do have good intentions and, you know, they come at it and they say, well, you know, like I know that there was this past 
you know, this, this horrible stuff that happened in the past, these mm-hmm. past injustices, and I want to right those wrongs. But when you do that and you, you view everybody in this as one single group mm-hmm. uh, and that has a certain skin color, then, you know, you're causing more problems than you're helping. Yeah. I mean, some people, some black people were descended from slave owners. So, you know, like, how do we handle that? Yep. So it, it's just That's not, great, great it, point. it's right. It's not feasible it's, it's, and it's not, it's not helping. It's, mm-hmm. it's going to cause more problems than, than it then it helps. Yeah, so. most definitely, man. And, and, and another thing people do is they conflate the experience of black Americans who specifically descended from people who were slaves historically to like black people in general. You know, people often forget that black Americans make up less than 5% of black people in the entire world, right? Yeah. So I've, I've, I remember... I remember I was, I was, I got in some sort of like online argument or debate with someone um, about this. And funnily enough, it was one of these like white progressive guys. And he said something like, um, as a descendant of slaves, I'm surprised you don't understand this. And I'm like, I'm Nigerian, bro. Like, I, I'm not, I'm not a descent. Like, he just saw that I'm black and he just he assumes just, like all black maybe. people. And I'm just like, you, and yeah. and again, it's like, do they not? It's like people like this don't even realize that that's you know offensive on multiple levels to even just like assume, oh wow, someone is black, so therefore, well, you know, firstly they're they, firstly they must be American, like that doesn't even make sense. But then yeah. that oh, also you're a descendant of slaves, and it's just like, no. And then and then when I told him that I was like, no, like I'm British and I'm Nigerian, like I'm not even I'm not even American. No, dude, um, you're, Afri- you're African-American. All yeah. black people are African-American. Yeah, you know, it, it's just like, ah, uh, it's just, it's just all the assumptions, you know, it's just like, I wish people just wouldn't make, like, I really try not to make like huge assumptions about people unless yeah. they have like pronouns in their Twitter bio or something. Yeah, right. Um, right. <laughs> certainly not based on anything immutable. Um, so when people do it, it's just, um, it's just annoying. And, and that's the kind of thing that for whatever reason, I, 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 in a way, I find it more offensive than any sort of like rare, but you know, kind of direct, direct racism. I find the sort of soft bigotry of low expectations or the mm-hmm. you must fit in this box kind of thing. I find that number one, it's a lot more pervasive, um, but also in a way, I find it, I find it more offensive because the the prior one is like, you know, it's 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 just so it's kind of so stupid. And it tends yeah. to just be rooted in ignorance. I th- Do you know what I think it is? I think it's that that type of racism is rooted primarily in ignorance and lack of experience. But the other type that we're talking about is sort of rooted in indoctrination and incorrect education. So it's yeah. actually harder. Like it might actually be easier to get like someone to get someone who's sort of like ignorantly racist. Like, yeah. you know, just by being friends with, by being kind to them and by being friends to them and showing them, look, all black people are not like X or whatever you may think. I think that you can kind of soften them and maybe they'll change their tune. But someone who's just been like brainwashed into like hardcore critical race theory and just viewing the whole world through that way. And they think yeah. that they're the educated ones. That's in a way harder to deal with because like they're so certain, they're so certain that they're correct. And they, they think that they're educated. So you can't you can't educate them. You know, it's yeah. like, they're the ones telling you to educate yourself. And it's just like, man, I don't even know how to <laughs> break this. You're absolutely correct. This. Yeah. You're absolutely correct. I've had people tell me like, you can't use statistics because statistics are racist. So it's yeah, like, yeah. Well, <laughs> like, how, like what, how, how can I disprove your argument then? Because, so I just have to accept that they're correct. So yeah, yeah you're right. This moral superiority. And then, yeah, so they're automatically right. And we have yeah. to just, we have to accept it, Zuby. We have exactly. to just go along with it. <laughs> man it's been awesome to speak to you leonidas bro yeah, where, likewise. Where, can, where can people find you online yeah yeah my twitter handle is at leonidas johnson that's l-e-o-n-y-d-u-s johnson and then uh, my website leonidasjohnson.com and my podcast is called informed descent and you can find that on any any podcast platform so yeah awesome, i appreciate bro. it man no doubt man we will talk again soon peace out yes sir take care man Like a bang, clicking a bang. Y'all gonna remember the name. Y'all gonna remember the name. 
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.